The year is 1994. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And I'm Charlotte. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hey everybody, it's Dave here from My Marvelous Year and Comic Book Herald, and I, I just wanted to say up front here that in the introduction to the episode for 1994 Part 1, I have one of the most unhinged, um, frankly deranged moments I think I've had on the podcast. On the introduction to 1994 Part 1, you're going to hear me say that this is the year of Nirvana's Nevermind. Uh, this is this is grotesquely inaccurate. Uh, I am three years off <laughs> in that analysis, and uh, I'm not even close. It's not even close. I think I was thinking of In Utero or maybe their MTV Live album, but either way, frankly, it's an unforgivable mistake, and uh, I'd like to apologize to the Cobain estate. I'd like to apologize to the Foo Fighters personally, uh, all of them, especially the drummer. And uh, I, I also, but not not the bassist, uh, no apology will be coming for me and Kurt. Um, he knows what he did. And uh, But in general, you know, just I, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of good comics here in 1984 Part 1. Uh, everything else I think is very fun and very good listening. But uh, but that inaccuracy is, is just um, unacceptable. And I had to put a, a frankly, running much too long uh, apology here at the front. So please um, find it in your hearts to to just say, you know what? Never mind, and move on, and enjoy the comics. Hey everyone, this is Zach coming in to apologize for Dave's apology, where he mistakenly calls the bassist of Nirvana Kurt. Um, seems like he thinks there's two Kurts in the band when, obviously, it is Chris Novoselic. Um, yeah, this is this is really egregious stuff, and uh, I really hope you, as the listeners, can find it in your heart to forgive. Uh, the, the entire podcast. I mean, it's really just as much my fault for allowing Dave to continue to be on the show, just making mistake after mistake like this. But thank you. Thank you for your patience. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year podcast, where we go through Marvel Universe from its origins to today. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, we're kicking off a new year in our coverage. It started in 1961. Now we are moving to 1994. That's right. We're in Nirvana Nevermind territory. We're in, I, I would say 94 is like when uh, the 90s stopped being fun and start getting real <laughs> and uh and that's what we're going to talk about a bit today on the show so before we say the comics that we're going to read which of course you can find in the show notes uh for all the comics that we read along as we go through the most essential marvel comics from origins to today let me introduce our guest i am joined today by co-host she is a nexus being i have no <laughs> idea what that means none none at all nonetheless i think it's an impressive title charlotte fiero how's it going charlotte Hi, um, I have no idea either, but it uh, sounds nice, so mm -hmm. that's good. Um, it's right up there with Celestial Madonna for me, uh, yeah. which, mm -hmm. which is also totally. on your business cards, <laughs> which is definitely uh, a really cool thing to put there. And then we are also joined here by uh, an individual. On one hand, he has a demon baby slandering Roy Thomas. On the other hand, <laughs> he has a demon baby slandering the Simonson family and everything they stand for. It's Zach Dean. How's it going, Zach, and your baby friends? That was that was the that was one that of the babies. babies. No, I got it. That I got the, it. You don't need to explain. That was the Roy Thomas baby. Uh, no, no, it wasn't the Roy Thomas baby. I liked him last. Not episode. very articulate. It was, it was fine. Yeah, no, yeah. that sounded more like a goat of some kind. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you, you put me in a, a baby corner here. Both I think that's of how those, the, the yeah. phrase goes. That 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 quote is being put in the baby corner. Yeah, it's frankly my baby. Yeah. I don't give a corner. I think is how it, exactly how it goes. Um, so today we're going to talk about Scarlet Witch, Volume 1, number 1 to number 4. Yeah. That was released yeah, in 1994. Yeah. We're also going to talk about a really exciting, one of the best 90s Marvel comics, Marvel's 
number. Oh, zero I thought you were going to say clandestine. Four, okay. <laughs> and then we do have a, a Patreon request to talk some clandestine by Alan Davis. Before okay? before we jump into all those, can mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. can I just we just do a quick like 1994 preview? Just give people like a small uh, a peek into like the big stuff that's happening here. Absolutely. Let me let me set you up. Yeah. 1994, a new year, a new look, coming soon to podcast near you. Hit it, Zach. Uh, too many Spider-Man. Uh, that's that's what that event's called. <laughs> Spider-Man. Too many Spider-Man. <laughs> and the Failings well, Covenant, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, Clo- say what it actually is. <laughs> oh, it's the Clone Saga. It's the Clone, <laughs> clone Saga's happening this year. You, you set him that's up too well. He can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Failings Covenant, which I don't know. I guess that's a thing. Uh, that seems like a big deal in X-Men. I don't know. Yeah, uh, what else is the big? worst I, those, those are the two big <laughs> Yeah. I mostly wanted to point out that the Clone Saga is happening later. And episode, our fourth episode for 1994. It's mm-hmm. a Dean's List. Dean's List is back. Every Dean's 10 list. years, I come back. And uh, <laughs> Was it now. was it 1984, the first it was, Dean's List? I, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, I picked, yep, I picked uh, 94 on purpose. Okay, so for, for readers who, or for listeners who... Uh, are unfamiliar maybe you joined us later or maybe you don't mm-hmm. have um you know a, a photographic memory of everything we've done um so normally all the the comics that are suggested here are from myself and the comic book herald uh website and we put up you know the list of the essential stories to read for every year to make it manageable as we go through this reading club journey and every decade zach includes one episode a dean's list a pick of issues that i would not have included in the club and last time <laughs> that i would not have included <laughs> well i didn't i didn't That's i, I know thing, i right? know what you mean but yeah yeah no it also it also I, you know, I, was I know meant, you but mean. here's the thing is here's the thing last decade 1984 the the comic you picked one of the comics you picked rather was maybe my favorite issue we read <laughs> of the entire decade that amazing um is barry mm-hmm. windsor smith uh marvel yeah, fanfare yeah, with yeah. with the yep. thing in johnny johnny storm so that was great stuff. So I'm looking forward to reading your strange selections for 1984. But today, today, we're going to talk Marvel's Scarlet Witch and then uh, a Patreon recommendation. Now, the Patreon, you can go over to patreon.com slash comicbookherald if you are so inclined. You, or, no, excuse me, patreon.com slash me. You can support <laughs> the podcast. And uh, one of the benefits, one of the tiers that this individual is at uh, is is you can actually pick issues that we have to discuss and you get to make everyone read them as well um so that's what we're gonna have at the end of this so let's start with the big one let's start with marvels okay technically we read issue zero to four really it's one to four and then there's a weird little zero kind of add-on at the end of this this is kurt busiak alex ross prestige marvels series okay it is one of the sort of most iconic uh marvel books of all time you know when you think about sort of the canon of graphic novels that Marvel mm-hmm. can put out there yeah. that are like standalone things. You know, the way DC has Watchmen and it has, you know, Dark Knight Returns. Marvel's is way, way up there for Marvel Comics. Um, and it's a thing that obviously they didn't have until this moment in 1994 when Busiek and Ross step in. Now, Marvel has played with prestige-style books before, right, with their original graphic novel line, but I don't think anything hits quite as effectively until... Marvel's right here, and frankly, it's it's been a challenge for them to replicate the success of this sense. Uh, before I toss it to the both of you in terms of what you thought and, and kind of you know introductory um, feelings about it, the the premise for Marvel's is Busiak and the amazing painted work of Alex Ross, which is really something special. Uh, it stands out very very significantly compared to everything else in comics. It's it's a look at the Marvel universe through the eyes of Phil Sheldon, who be, is a photojournalist. Okay, so it's a from-the-ground-up look at the godlike beings, right, these superheroes that are flooding. So it's it's taking what if the Marvel Universe was real and real people reacted to that, and it's really heavily leaning into it, a la Kurt Busiak's Astro City, which is an independent work that he does right around the same time that he kicks off, um, which takes a very similar, similar approach. All right. I think right after this, it seemed to me that and Alex Ross was Alex Ross was involved too. Um, he provided covers and, uh, se- early. Yeah, se- yeah. Seem seemed to me that like they they worked on this and then were like, yeah, let's get out of Marvel and do a similar thing. Right. I like, think it's I think it's the next year. Story. I think it's 1985. Mm-hmm. It was when Astro yeah. City officially. Um, Have you read kicks that? Off. Astro. I've read a bunch of Astro City, not all of it. It's, yeah. The reading okay. a bunch more has perpetually been 
on my to-do list. Um, but it, it's very good. It's very good. Yeah, I've never checked it out. Good it at the looking at um, at this perspective, right? At taking like, okay, mm-hmm. let's take a real-world perspective and look at what it would be like to have all these superheroes running around, which is a tricky thing, which I do want to talk about because it's that that can be a messy ask. All right, Charlotte, let's start with you. Um, had you read Marvels before? Were you coming back to it? What What do you think about the series? Uh, I, I read it quite recently, actually. I think I read it like maybe three, four months ago. Um, so I was very curious uh, about it. I really loved it. And I think it's one of those rare times where reading the comics, I just completely forgot what I was doing uh, outside of it and just was fully into the comic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's an experience that uh, I rarely have reading uh, Marvel comics, even those I enjoy the most. Um, so yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it and I completely understand why it is... Um, like why it has a reputation it has uh, in um, in Marvel fandom. Yep, Zach, what was your Marvel's experience? Uh, yeah, it, it's very good. Everything Charlotte said, I agree with. In and it's it's interesting reading it the whole time. I was thinking we haven't had anything like this no. in the entire Marvel reading club because I I don't think anything like with the graphic novels, nothing else steps outside of the Marvel universe in quite the same way. With the exception of some, like, oddballs like the swimsuit special, right? Which is, like, obviously silly. But, like, we, we don't have <laughs> anything, colors, like... Yeah. I, I know, but, like, no, mythologizing I, I yeah. the, the Marvel Universe that's not part of, like, you know, a big canon... Maybe maybe Electro Assassin. Canon. I would say something in the Epic line feels maybe the closest to being, like, this is a standalone graphic novel, even though, obviously, Electro is very much a part of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I, I just, like, it, mo- mostly it was the reflection reflection upon superheroes as like as a concept and trying to like really tweak it and redefine that that i i feel like now is incredibly common right so like at the time we have watchmen right this this almost feels like a reaction to watchmen but just kind of the opposite slant instead of doing like well what if superheroes were real they'd all be like authoritarian (laughs) uh you know authoritarians and fascists uh instead of doing that what if you know, we're looking at from the point of view of a normal human and superheroes are these, like, awe-inspiring, fright-inspiring beings that, you know, real people only get small glimpses of. Um, yeah, it felt it felt kind of uh, in conversation with Watchmen in the same way. But, like, now we have, you know, we've got The Boys, you have Powers, you have Gotham Central, you have uh, a million comics that are, like, looking at superheroes from the outside, commenting on superheroes through superhero stories. Right. Um, it feels much more common now, but I think at the time it probably was very, very unique. Um, and it still feels unique in uh, in the way that it, like, portrays stuff. Like, it, it genuinely, I, I think it threads such a, a difficult needle of having, like, really putting you in the space of, like, oh, I, I know these stories. Like, I know what's going on here with Galactus and the Fantastic Four. Like, we, we read this. You know, we'll, we'll get into all the references, but, like, we read this before. But it, it is not, like, retelling those stories whatsoever. It is just saying, like, what would this look like to someone, like, on the street as Galactus yeah. is invading? And it would be terrifying, right? Like, and it, and it sells that terror, and it sells the anxiety of all this stuff constantly happening to everybody. I, I think, like catching that perspective and and the like wonder at seeing this unfold right there there's a mix there's you know fright <laughs> there's annoyance at your subway train always being stopped because like paste pot peat is spraying his glue everywhere yeah but then there's also like the you know the the moments of awe of seeing you know, hawkeye shooting an arrow or ant-man stepping over the street and especially as a photographer catching these moments and trying to trying to put them in a book for other people yeah i think the i, I think it's spot on i mean i think it's definitely I think so much of comics at this point is in conversation with Watchmen, whether it means to be or not, right? And we've talked a bunch mm-hmm. about yeah. how a lot of the lessons learned are like individuals, you know, especially the image, image comics revolution being like, oh, okay, comics are mature now. And that just means violence and sex and, and you know, sort of darkness, right? And uh, Busiak, I think what he captures so effectively is, you're right, he takes a different bent. He takes a lot more optimism and a lot more awe with with the heroes of the marvel universe but he also grounds it in a tremendous amount of realism where like you said galactus showing up and the sky turning to fire before he does is like biblical levels of terrifying you know and like okay what would that actually mean for um you know for for individuals on the ground just like walking the streets of new york you know same with just like the presence of mutants in the world like what does that look like outside of the perspective of the x mansion um, and I, I think that's so like the four issues here, the first one, 
Um, and, and Busiek does a nice job too because like Marvel's and Ross, obviously, but um, Marvel's captures the history of Marvel Comics from like 1940 to like 1973 mm-hmm. weirdly yeah. effectively <laughs> like like yeah. Yeah. like in four issues it it basically says here's kind of how the marvel universe progressed and it's but it's not a a history of the marvel universe encyclopedia right it's it's genuinely just one story um but it focuses on four major things it focuses focuses on the development of the original human torch the Android Human mm-hmm. Torch, um, Jim Hammond with Dr. Phineas Horton, right, in, in the battle against Namor. Then it progressed in sort of that World War II timeline. It progresses to, um, you know, sort of the debut of the Avengers and and the introduction of the X-Men and mutants in the world. It goes to the coming of Galactus, right, 1966, and sort of mm-hmm. reflecting how Marvel Comics are changing, but also just like it's 1966. These are changes in the world. And then ultimately progressing to... Um, I think Busiak and Ross, you know, kind of correctly determining like the death of Gwen Stacy is another huge turning point in what Marvel Comics are and what they represent. Um, but in in the course of doing that, there's all sorts of Easter eggs and tedious. Um, it doesn't read as tedious, but tedious research in terms of like, hey, did Daredevil battle Stiltman before the Fantastic Four wedding? You know, stuff like that that Busiak was doing, <laughs> where he's yeah. he's doing comic book herald style reading orders with individual <laughs> silver age issues but just weaving it into the narrative you know and it's not important that you know no, that like no, it's no. not important yeah. for you to stack one issue on top of the other um but it's done and i love that and i love that yeah. attention to detail um it's and it's not even it's, done in a flashy way so you like to flesh mm, out the mm-hmm. world and make it feel more living and breathing i think yeah exactly. i was about to say the same thing like it he is not if he was constantly winking at you, like, oh, yeah. you know this, you get this, like, this is a joke you get, we're all in on this together, I'm giving you, you know, the the cheap satisfaction of, you know, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme of, like, that, I know that. Right, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, which is so many, so many comics and so much media now in general is just, like, playing on your sense of, like, oh, I know that thing, you know? Which, I'm, which is I'm funny, smart. actually, I'm in on it. because this comic is filled to the brim with Easter eggs. So like I actually mm-hmm. when yeah. I was rereading this, I there's an annotated edition that Marvel released. You can f- read these on Marvel Unlimited. Um they came out in 2019 and it's just called Marvel's Annotated, I believe. And in the, at the back of every issue, they have these really long sort of oral history style interview with Kurt Busiak and Alex Ross. And one thing you realize is that both Busiak but especially Ross were like putting Easter eggs in like every panel oh, yeah right and some of them mm-hmm. are obvious you know stuff like like lois lane and clark kent like cameoing as journalists mm-hmm. in the city stuff yeah. like that you know um but some of them are just like attention to detail stuff like when we first meet J. jonah jameson in the world war ii era um the use of shadow to make it look like he has a mustache <laughs> to be the recognizable <laughs> character that mm-hmm. we know but yeah. he doesn't actually mm-hmm. right just stuff like that yeah. that is pretty yeah, cool yeah. um it's also i mean it's impossible to talk about this with it without talking about alex ross is an incredible artist, an incredible yeah. painter. He has done some of the most fascinating covers and sort of poster work. Um, every issue of like Immortal Hulk, the series that came out, has a cover by Alex Ross, and it's part of what makes that series so excellent. But when he was doing interiors, you know, in the 90s here, he did like Marvels, he did uh, DC work like Uncle Sam. He doesn't do a heck of a lot of interiors, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Like stuff like Earth X is going to come up towards the end of the decade. Um, but his interiors, I mean, I just, they're so unlike anything else we see in Marvel Comics, it immediately sells this as prestige and important in the ways that, like, you know, the the death of Captain Marvel or God Loves Man Kills were trying to do artistically, but they didn't know how. Um, and and to, to make yeah. it clear to, to people who haven't read it, like, his his stuff is, it's like watercolor, right? It's a mix, it's mixed media, but I think it's mainly watercolor. <clears throat> and uh, so it's just got this very soft look to it. And I, I think, like, the best description... I saw online uh, someone describe him as Norman Rockwell meets George Perez. Mm. Um, like, because he just has a very, like, simple, grounded, human-based, like, human-focused style yeah. to him. Like, especially face-focused. Um, but then it also has that, like, very, yeah, Norman Rockwell, like, um, you know, pr- pretty uh, American, like, very polished, very clean look to it. Um that, that I think is excellent here. And but the, the thing I wanted to mention is having read some of his other stuff, um, I was thinking I was thinking it was Kingdom Come, but I think it's actually Justice is the one that I read that I yeah. was thinking of. Um it, it's not a gimme that he <laughs> that this style works for interiors. Right, right. right. 
because I don't think like Justice is a comic I liked okay. Um, yeah, same. But like it's showy, right? In with with this style, and it looks like a series of covers. Like it's big, flashy splashes constantly, and that can actually get exhausting. Yeah. In a comic like this, like big, beautiful paintings of these these heroes can kind of overdo it and make make the spectacle of it feel exhausting. And what they do here that I think is really really wise is that they parse it out just little bits, little glimpses of stuff. You never really see huge things. So when it happens, it does genuinely feel like awe-inspiring because you're seeing it like just like they are. They're getting these occasional glimpses of superheroes and it really does feel special every time you do it. Like it has this magic trick of making those stories seem much bigger and more exciting than they actually are, right? (laughs) When you go back to read those stories, many of them are kind of like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's like a kind of a doofy silver age story or especially it's a really doofy golden age story that you know doesn't really have that much weight behind it but when namor attacks the city here and sends a tidal wave in it's the biggest thing in the world and it feels like the scariest most important thing the the fickleness of namor (laughs) uh becomes a very frightening plot point here um and it's because you don't really know what's going on right we're we're only getting these little glimpses here and there Um, and I, i think parsing that out very conservatively is really key here and also the panel layout just is so focused on people on the street it's so you know it's so focused on um phil phil sheldon i think is our main guy here yeah right rather than like constantly getting the big action shots which come few and far between and then when they hit they really hit um and I, i think like restraining him a little bit not not that like you know alex ross needs the restraint maybe you know this is a collaboration but like keep keeping that working more as an interior artist as opposed to that sort of cover poster style of everything being yeah. big flashy showmanship. I, I do think you get a bit more of that earlier in the career with Marvels, with mm-hmm. Uncle Sam, with Kingdom Come. Um, and then at a certain point, I think creators are like, well, we have Alex Ross, so let him do Alex Ross things. And then it becomes a little less like a, a traditional comic reading experience um, in some in some maybe negative ways. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, think, I think in Marvels, it totally works. Um, so uh, obviously we all think highly of this. I think the fact that it's a Phil Sheldon story, first and foremost, is kind of the ultimately the trick that makes this thing work. Yeah. You know, because we talked about mm-hmm. with Daredevil, um, The Man Without Fear, with Frank Miller and John Romero Jr. kind of at the, you know, at not the peak of their powers, but certainly still in their with their A game. Um, and that being kind of boring, you know, kind of a retelling of origins where it's like, okay, why are we doing this? Marvels could fall into that trap. You know, it could be like, okay, we're kind of retelling mm-hmm. some Marvel history here. Um, but it never feels that way, really, or at least it doesn't to me, because we're telling the story of Phil Sheldon, we're telling it from his perspective, and we're getting a totally new look, or at least it feels new. You know, and I think that's the magic of what Busey and Ross capture, is making old stuff that we know intimately um, feel new. And I, I do think you also have to consider, too, like, you know, coming out in 1994, before collections, before Marvel Unlimited, before access to back issues was tremendously accessible, um, mm-hmm. a lot of these stories probably would have been fairly new for, for newer Especially readers, the right? Golden Age stuff. Like, yeah. how were people reading, you know, Golden Age Human Torch stuff back in 1994? Right. You know, maybe maybe, maybe some collections? I don't know. Collection well, even now. printing was not as robust, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, even now I, I would even say, know. like, you know, if you're if somebody was like, hey, should I read, uh, I can't even think what the names are, you know, the issues 9 to 11 or whatever that series is um, between yeah, yeah, yeah. Human Torch and Submariner, yeah, or should Mystery I read Marvel's number one? Yeah. I, I'd say read Marvel's number one. You know, like, that's the modern <laughs> recapturing of... Of the story through an effective perspective. So, uh, Charlotte, let me throw it to you then for what criticisms do you have of Marvels? What do you think it doesn't do as well as you would have hoped? Huh. That's a good question. Because uh, I really didn't have any. I don't think I, I really let myself be swept off in the in, in my own experience, and I don't think I had too many criticisms uh, reading it. Yeah. Um, I, Zach, anything on your end where you're like, I kind of didn't like a certain thing about it? I have one, if you guys don't. No, no, no. I don't. I don't and I, I have a few more positives, it's not really actually, a but we can get to that later. You know? It's not really a criticism, but I wonder how well this works for someone who hasn't read a lot of Marvel comics. I think like a lot of it might be reliant a bit on uh, on having some knowledge of it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I kind of disagree with that. As long as you like... I mean, if you don't know who Spider-Man is, then maybe this is... I mean, if yeah. it's literally your first superhero comic, <laughs> then maybe not. But I th- it's but it's like, probably not a good first, know. but it's probably a good, like, a great seventh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but, I read this back when I was, like, 18, 19, and I was not reading superhero comics then. Like, I, read I, I hadn't early. read 
Yeah, same. Yeah, because my thing and, and was like never... uh, a big thing with the with the way um, the the main character sees superheroes is that he he struggles to understand how they work and like why the world reacts the way they do to them um, because he sees them as like as godly figures. Um, yeah. But I think uh, something that was um, interesting reading it is like you understand as someone who has read Marvel comics that what he's missing is that those characters are all just human beings because reading their adventures for in Marvel comics we see them as human beings we see the the tensions between the teams we see that um, Peter Parker is Spider-Man we see stuff like that and from Phil's point of view we just see them as godly beings and we and I think that uh, that's speci- specifically the very last page with um, him uh, like t- uh, retiring and telling his uh, apprentice to take a picture of him, his wife, and just this very normal young boy uh, from the neighborhood. And uh-huh. uh, he just says that the name of the boy is Danny Ketch, which, which if you have read Marvel Comics, you might know that uh, that little kid becomes a, a ghost rider. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's the type of stuff, if, if you have read Marvel Comics, that really enhances the experience, I think. And I don't know how well it works without it. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, that, I, it's kind of that MCU trick a little bit of um, there's richer detail and reference points within the material uh, that will enhance your experience. Do you yeah. need to have r- know them all beforehand to enjoy the thing? No, um, I, I think Marvel's in my view is is successful in that regard. I, I think the one the one piece that I probably struggle with the most is probably the second issue um, where. It's it's the mutant focused issue, and it's called monsters, right? And there's this image of of the cover for the the original covers, you know, angel flying off with this mutant child, and then it actually progresses in the annotated version. The covers are these really dark, haunting sort of sentinels that Ross does a great job with, um, and, and it delves into you know the the quote unquote the mutant menace, right? And sort of the perspective of Phil Sheldon being there's mutants in the world and they're a threat, and his you know he's not inside the X mansion, he doesn't know. Professor Xavier, he just knows there are these like superpowered mutants and they're scary and and menacing mm-hmm. um, to yeah. him. And it's it's interesting. I, I think it's a really interesting issue because it's also like this is somebody who we know is sort of in awe and into almost worshiping to agree the heroes of this world. And it's like, well, what do you? What is the differentiation you're making between a superpowered Avenger and a mutant? Right? And it's sort of well, this that's, I mean, that's, hatred. That's just that, Marvel in general. Right, like yeah, it has is. But but, but but Marvels problem. is actually putting, it's actually putting it into words. It's actually articulating mm-hmm. that yeah. as opposed to yeah. just doing yeah. it. You know, and I think you know. So so in the issue, Phil Sheldon, this this character that we're following and we're supposed to you know like and and respect. Um, at one point, he sees there's like a, a mob menacing some of the X Men, right, Cyclops and whatnot. And Phil Sheldon joins in, picks up a brick and throws it at I think Iceman. Yeah. Um, one of the original five, right? And it's like there's a it's a really dark turn because it's like, oh, wow, Phil Sheldon just joined an anti-mutant mob, like, quickly. Like, he didn't just observe it. He didn't just see it and not do anything. He straight up threw a brick. Um, And there's mm-hmm. a... I remember reading this first time and thinking, like, oh, okay, so we're putting him on the side of, like, the racists? <laughs> like, <laughs> and we're... And then and then it all gets better, right? Because he meets well, I, a young I, I want to point out... And hang on, hang on. Let me finish. Oh, yeah. He meets okay, a young okay. mutant and, and the family protects him. And he's like, oh, my gosh, this mutant, you know, she's a real girl. And it's like and his racism gets fixed because he meets a, a real life mutant girl. Right. And it's that that felt a little uncomfortable to me. Um, but I actually appreciated reading Busiak's take on this uh, in the annotated edition where he he goes to say, you know, the X-Men at this point in Marvel history were very much a mutant, uh, a metaphor for the Jewish experience. Uh, is Stanley and Jack Kirby had been in, seen anti-Semitic prejudice for years. They had been through World War II, where Jews were rounded up into camps. So I want to make it clear that this was a matter of irrational prejudice. Um, but the idea that with anti-Semitism, you have conspiracy stories about Jews wanting to take over the world with the X-Men, they put that right in there. Uh, and he's saying, you know, this is this is basically um, the Marvel version of anti-Semitism as opposed to the civil rights issue that I think the Mutant Four gets conflated with at this point, you know, by 1994. Uh, and I actually think that's an important difference, something I've been reading a lot about. Um, it doesn't necessarily make Phil Sheldon's actions any better or any different, but it does recontextualize the way Busiek's viewing it, I think, in terms of what he's trying to do and the type of hate that he's trying to reflect. Um, so I, I I think the issue is good and effective. I just think it that action specifically by Sheldon is sort of like, as we go on, it's like, well, 
I, I don't value him as a family man the same way I could if he didn't straight up throw a brick in an anti-mutant mob. But go ahead, Zach. Sure, I, but I, I, you know, I, I don't think, like, th- to me, this comic, I don't walk away being, like, even though it is focused on Sheldon so specifically, I am not, like, following his, like, like he is more the, the viewpoint character for, you know, a, a, a civilian, right, a non-powered person watching all this happen more than he is, like, an own character, like, if he ever shows up again in the Marvel Universe, I don't care, like, I was I meant to look that up to see if like people ever weave in Phil Sheldon because it's like who cares about Phil Sheldon like he's not he's not a character I'm interested in as much as like his point of view is just what grounds this but I, I will say yeah I, I hear what you're saying I it's interesting like that he said he was framing it so closely around the anti-Jewish experience because there were a few lines here that really made me think that this is an interesting viewpoint of um like like it made the mutant metaphor for like civil rights and like African American rights um work from the point of view of somebody who's just like irrationally freaked out by all this yeah uh, by by talking about stuff like you know he's going into the city every day to work and he's just like well at least like like my children like what happens if my children grow up and they're going to be replaced by mutants and he's like worried his kids are going to meet mutants and they don't won't know how to react and then like his kids meet a mutant and they're just like we played with her she's just like us right like all that felt very you know specifically in conversation with civil rights stuff and like segregation and de or desegregation and then specifically him being like oh well you know like all this stuff is so stressful but at least like i don't have to worry it's not in the suburbs right like he says something specifically about like he can go to the suburbs and he's safe in the suburbs from all this which you know is very much talking about like white flight at the time oh yeah and like leaving leaving the cities uh and, and trying to like get away from uh you know like the influx of racial minorities uh so I, I really, I, I think I, it worked for me. Like, it worked really well for me because I think, like, it actually grounded it in, like, it feels so surface level sometimes just because it's just like, yeah, people hate mutants and we never really talk about why. And this really got into the, like, oh, yeah, it, it's, you know, a perfect reflection of the way that people actually irrationally hate and fear minorities because, or yeah. white people irrationally hate and fear minorities because, uh, you know, whatever has been stirred up. And I, I liked the... um. I thought it was really interesting how he's in a bar and he sees that conversation of where uh, the the debate between Xavier and um, what's his name the the guy Trask. who preached the Sentinels yeah yeah X Men uh, number twelve yeah which I think is re- really interesting to see that and just be like oh it's the first time you've just seen someone like advocate for mutants in yeah. public who seems you know is like well spoken about it and isn't like <clears throat> a terrifying mutant that I've heard is you know here to menace construction workers or whatever right like. Yeah. It's the first time it ha- it can't be spun like I'm letting a mutant speak for themselves and like hear their own words. Um, I thought that was really interesting. I, that 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 was all pretty effective for me. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a. I just want to be clear. Like, I think it's a really good issue, <laughs> and it's yeah. part of a really okay. good series. It's specifically a certain line being crossed. Um, yeah, where I, think it... I I have definitely struggled with the the implications of that. Um, but yeah. I I do think there's you know there's different ways of interpreting it that are. That are interesting. Um, t- Phil Sheldon expressing those thoughts is one thing, you know? I, I think that yeah. grounds it in the realism that I think mm. Usiak is very good at. Expressing the, the white flight fears. Another, you mean? Straight yeah. up throwing a brick is like, okay, now he's now 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 we're in a different territory. Um, but, yeah, I mean, sure. yes, I think broadly it's very good. It's not, you know, that's one issue, right? It's, it's dealing with those. Generally, generally, it's very, very much what Busiak is is focused on as a writer, which is superheroes and superhero worlds, right? Um, like, it is... It, the themes that is primarily are it's grounded in the realism of the real world but it's not fixated on those it's more interested mm-hmm. in what is it is is spider-man actually a hero <laughs> and uh and and what does it mean for you know gwen stacy to have been killed by the green goblin and spider-man to be blamed and those sorts of questions um so i have marvel's rank as my 35th favorite comic of all time oh, um, interesting. that will that's super high i have it above the fantastic four omnibus volume two which is issues 31 to 60 which is yeah. the best of the fantastic yeah, yeah. four right I, I have it literally right above that um it it's it, it's amazing to me i think how so, like like what other if you're just gonna say the you know here are five marvel graphic novels you can give as gifts to readers who want to experience this stuff that are like the great ones you know what i mean what are you giving them you can give them marvels you can give them Dare, some daredevil frank miller stuff you can give them um, Craven's Last Hunt, maybe, you know, stuff that we... Oh, you can give them Secret Wars, obviously, right? Like, there's some... some. Oh, Daredevil number eight. You can just give them a copy of Daredevil number eight. But, you know, but Marvel's is, is high. 
is high on that list. And uh, and it's, you know, that's good. Yeah, I think very Secret Wars is a bit of a hot sell, maybe for like a complete newcomer. Oh, no. You know, I, I, that was one of the things I kind of thought when we were, you know, I got to get into it, but I, I kind of thought like, hey, this would be a good okay. like, intro to the Marvel Universe. If, if you're, you know, like, it depends, right? It's always, you always have to talk about this stuff with someone who wants to read superhero yeah. comics, right? Like, you can't hand it to someone who's not already interested but that's true of literally every so i was gonna say i think new mutants the new mutants graphic novel is a good entry point Mm -hmm. into x-men comics yeah sure interesting yeah yeah. interesting alpha flight number one everyone knows that if if they're an enemy and you like want to really gatekeep them and keep them out (laughs) maybe give them some alpha flight i think that's a good idea Um, no but you know marvel's is the point being like marvel's is it's just super high on this list you know it's just like marvel marvel has perpetually struggled to um, keep up with DC on the perennial bestseller backlist type books. You know, um, they're way behind them always, and uh, and which is funny because they're always selling better. You know, on the on the month to month superhero grind. You know, yeah. But DC yeah, yeah. has Vertigo, and they have these you know Kingdom Comes and Watchmen and and these hits. And Marvel has always kind of struggled with that. Uh, but Marvel's is is definitely on that list. So yeah. all right, any any other uh, you know Marvel's items that we want to make sure we talk about. No, 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 no. That's it. I. Uh, I'm, it is funny because I think did I goof up and mix up Kurt Busiek with Mark Wade? Is that correct? Remember, because I was like Marvel's coming up. Mark yeah, I Wade, think you like, did a few episodes, episodes ago. ago. That that's yeah, like something you would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I felt I felt justified though because I looked it up and I was like, oh yeah, he wrote Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come is Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Oh, so like, Alex Ross. Well, I it, I think actually. Probably what we were talking about was Mark Wade writing uh, the Deadpool miniseries. That's why Mark Wade would have come up. So probably yeah, you maybe. just admitted yeah. an error that you didn't actually make on the podcast. I can't remember <laughs> what it was. I don't remember what I said last week, let alone yeah. three yeah. weeks ago. No, it's, yeah. it's tricky. Um, I am um, curious right, so, about the... Because I know there are some other Marvel series. Like some... Oh, it's yeah. going right now. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I'm There's curious about what that is. Right like... How close it is to the original? If they if it's trying to do some similar stuff uh, with like updated with the uh, 80s, 90s comics, or if it's doing something completely different. Um, so there's um so there's a Marvel snapshots line yeah. that came out last year that was curated by Busiak. Maybe he's co-writing or, or plotting or something like that. Um, there's a really good Cyclops issue within that. Yeah, added in that I liked a lot. It's it's very much in the early days of Marvel. Uh, Marvel's vibe, so those those can be interesting. But then there's a new series called The Marvels, which is mm-hmm. by written by Busiak, and that one feels more like um like a big crazy Avengers multiverse type story than oh, okay. than what he's doing here with Marvels. Uh, I haven't actually read it. Really, just isn't like there like a Marvels X or something like that that came out uh, a few years ago? Oh, Charlotte, we cannot start getting into the X verse <laughs> yet. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait until we get to Earth X. I do not have that kind of time. Okay, um, all right. <laughs> Let's talk Scarlet Witch, Volume One, Issues One to Number Four. This is Scarlet Witch's first. Solo limited series. It's four issues. It's written by Andy Lanning and Dan Abnett. We've got pencils here by John Higgins, inks by Mark McKenna, colors by Kevin Summers, letters by Jim Novak. Uh, this series is weirdly, again, MCU relevant, right? With WandaVision having come out the year we're recording this, um, with Wanda just and Scarlet Witch as a character, certainly having elevated to a level of popularity that, uh, you know, MCU based that, that the character did not have previously. Um, this series isn't like a hidden gem per se, but if you're a fan of Wanda Maximoff, it's fairly relevant and it introduces a lot of stuff that is like WandaVision and Loki relevant. Um, so it's, sh- it's very really? MCU. I, I kind of thought like maybe better than Marvel's even. Like there's really something <laughs> special to it. Yeah. No. Uh, this. That even what you said is way too strong praise for me. This this is this is kind of a big nothing. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't it praise. It was it was literally just connecting dots. It was very <laughs> it was hard to read yeah. I I guess yeah, I guess you just said it's important, which to me is like okay. And important it was but not good. Tough no jump one. from <laughs> Marvels to this. <laughs> right, right. I made the yeah. mistake of I, I read this Marvels first, first at least, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad I read this one first. Yeah. Uh, and just got it out of the way. Because I, I honestly didn't I mean like is is this important to big stuff later is this nexus stuff important because i couldn't really tell why we even read this this was so generic and the art's pretty bad the writing is like bad does not serve scarlet witch it's it's very much like scarlet witch running from trauma to trauma screaming (laughs) uh just being like 
you know, it totally is it is a out, Scarlet out Witch. It is a Wanda Maximoff continuity story, yeah. right? It is yeah. a it is a fill in the details and pick up the pieces from what happened in Wanda's continuity in ways that will or will not have relevance <laughs> moving forward. Yeah, um, but yeah. but really do have relevance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So like mostly what this book is doing is it's following up on the third degree burns we all received during John Burns West Coast Avengers. Um <laughs> didn't when, mind that story. Didn't what's mind that? that I did not mind that story. Right, I, no, I, you you love um No, I don't think I love that, love but I did burned. not I, I liked <laughs> I like that West Coast Avengers stuff uh from John Byrne. I okay, all but these are issues okay. we didn't read, yeah. so they're they're different issues. Um from Avengers West Coast fifty six to sixty two, when Wanda again turns evil and loses control oh, yeah, and yeah, turns yeah, evil yeah, yeah. and gives a um she gives hate sexual favors to Wonder Man and uh cool, and cool, cool. joins her dad and it's creepy and weird and John Byrne at his worst. Um but basically it's it's just another Dark Phoenixing of Wanda Maximoff. And this sort of tries to reclaim and recover the character after that, um, and also deal with the continuity of Master Pandemonium, aka Mr. Baby Hands, <laughs> who <laughs> who has Wanda's uh babies as his hands and is a demon. And there's it's a bunch cool. of Mephisto stuff. Listen, it's weird, it's wild, it's supernatural. Um, kind of cool. It's kinda is cool. it is it good? No. Yeah. Is it strange oh, yeah. and continuity heavy? Yes. Um, so if you like Wanda, it's kind of important. Yeah. I. I mean, I. I just like it's especially the writing. I thought was pretty generic. The actual story gave me it. This was the most like we just have plot. We don't have you know. Th- there's nothing really to add here to the character. Well, it there's is. It is additive in the sense of. <laughs> declaring Wanda a nexus being. Charlotte, please explain for listeners what a nexus being is, because I'm not going to do it. Um, I think a nexus being is like the the central focus of magic in their dimension, something like that. Okay. The the, okay. the interesting thing is, I, I the, the one, there, there's a fun detail, which is like, you know, there's all these different universes and every one has its own nexus being and each one, ha, you know, is focused on whatever the predominant magic of that world is. So the one that's like, coming to take over her predominant magic is necromancy so she brings like an army of the dead that's kind of fun it, i mean it's not yeah. fun like you actually look at the army of the dead and it's pretty boring <laughs> for the most part but like the idea of you know all these different flavors at least like has the potential there, to be fun there's a version of like yeah multiversal nexus beings and wanda mm-hmm. going to war with all of them that sounds really fun like video yeah. game they, fun, they, you know but like, isn't that just the seventies nexus of all realities in Man Thing comics? I think yeah, so. Sure, I think so. Bit, yeah. yeah. So right. So the nexus of all realities in- is introduced in the Florida Everglades swamp that yeah. Man Thing is just kind of weirdly protective of, and it's never super explained why. We see that that's actually I think where Howard the Duck is introduced. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. is traveling is, through the yeah. nexus of all realities. So this is all Steve Gerber stuff. Um, so yeah, like, <laughs> like it's a thing. It's a magic, uh, a, a magic thing in the Marvel universe. And Wanda is now finds out she's a Nexus being. Yeah. Now, Zach, but, to your point, you know, does this come up later? Um, <laughs> weirdly, no. Like it seems yeah. like yeah, I know. I'm looking, like I'm looking at it more now. Than it is. Here, here's the uh, here's here's the comics that mention uh, Nexus beings after Scarlet Witch miniseries. <laughs> what if volume uh, two, number thirty six and thirty seven, and that's it? Okay, those <laughs> those comics rule. Those comics are so good. <laughs> when I was doing, um, so that's Timequake. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what if volume okay. two oh, issues. It is, yeah. I read those for Wandavision, and they fun. are really, really flipping good. Um, they also yeah. have a lot of Kang and uh, and Immortus stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um. The yeah. That oh, I mean, also really bad art here. Uh. Like mostly, mostly generic art. John Higgins is on pencils here. Mostly generic, but also like, you, if you have generic art and then on top, like on top of that, you're constantly drawing the characters like the most sexualized, the most like weird looking breasts. Yeah. In the the way that he's drawing Scarlet Witch, and you know her breasts always pointing like perfectly straight out. You know, like a solid foot away from her chest, <laughs> like her nipples perfectly erect at all times. That stuff drives me nuts. Uh. And, you know, like, I, I can, sometimes I can overlook that if you have a style <laughs> that looks cool. And then, you know, also, like, yeah, of course, you're also just drawing the women hypersexualized. This is, you know, there's nothing here. So I'm just focusing on that and just how awful that stuff is. Uh, it's it's very generic. Um, 
and it's not sexy enough is what I'm hearing. So I think yes. you know, probably not much more to say about it. Yeah, about the yeah. the Nexus uh, thing, it did remind me of some stuff in 2000, I think 2010's uh, Young Avengers comics with the character of Wiccan, which I wonder if that might have been in part inspired sure. from this. Uh, sure, like the, sure, the, yeah. The um, Demiurge it's... stuff. Like that's, I mean, it feels like something that would call, ba- would call back to this, but it doesn't really. Even well, and again, like WandaVision and Loki yeah. are doing Nexus stuff. Um, yeah. So the terminology and the language is actually going to get a much bigger life than if it had continued the comics because it's continuing in that big old MCU. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I include it because it's Scarlet Witch's first solo and it's just, it's weird and it's wild and it's, it's continuity heavy and important. Um, again, if you're a Scarlet Witch fan, it's probably worth your time. If you're not... Uh, you don't need it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, don't know. Like, it, I love the Scarlet irony Witch. that the villain is called Law when the the book is all only about Law and nothing it's else. All lore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Like being a Scarlet Witch fan at this point seems so odd to me because it's like she just fired. she has such she has such little character. I'm not like like she has some interesting story stuff that happened to her, but like I couldn't like what's her personality? I have a really hard time telling you what her personality is outside of telling you just what happens to her yeah mm. right sounds like, like john Byrne dropped it, the ball on all those wandavision stories in uh in West <laughs> yeah hmm. yeah because like if if people talk about what they like about her it's often like talking about like oh like she endures this she you know yeah. is a, a woman of mixed heritage and you know she's dealing with identity issues blah 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 but like I'm like yeah but who is she and i very i i can't put you my haven't done the homework at all Get out of town. I mean, I haven't, but, you know, like, I this doesn't do it. Like, no, I, I think I it's like true often that writers tend to of... use her as, like, a tool and a superpower object, superpowered object, yeah, yeah. but they, and I think that's also very true in the more recent comics. And then when they give her personality, it's yeah. woman, right? Like, I, I think, it, like, it's a very, like, boring, sexist portrayal of oh, just, Oh, no, like, see, I, I think that's wrong, actually. I don't think it's that simple. <laughs> at least here. At least here, I think it's, it's very much, it's like, magic, just... Uh, like it's i mean nexus being is actually a good way to describe it because it's just like hey she's a magic thing and uh and we don't totally know what to do with her but she might go evil and cause problems you know the way that uh that an unwieldy magic lamp would right like it's not it's just not even mm-hmm. a person yeah 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 but i, I mean, wait how is that different from it you said, <laughs> you, woman, you said that like you're people, arguing Zach. well n- uh, yeah sure but like <laughs> charlotte should we explain just... to him do we have to do we have that after this talk again <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the, the way that they t- she talks is usually just like oh I'm, I'm nervous i'm concerned i'm traumatized and that's like all she gets to do is like and then uh, you know at the end she gets to be like have her big powerful moment i mean you know not not that like most generic male superheroes are not drawn with more nuance but like they, it feels really like she, she just feels like any number of the 60s women where it's just like very very little there except just being like kind of frightened and oh no i'm worried i'm gonna turn evil and it's like why what is that like? Is that based on something? Like, is there? I mean, there's just so little there. I guess you know, like. I think that, there's a lot in, there. It's just so badly explored and written, and it's. I mean, there's nothing there unless you are the it, one to you know insert. All she hasn't really there. had uh hasn't really had the right creators. Yeah. Um, on, and this is this is a perpetual Wanda Maximoff problem. Yeah. I mean, this is this is decades in the making, and it's going to be decades to continue. So yeah, I mean, I ultimately I do agree. Like it is. Yeah, she's, I, it's she's just, not it's interesting. Well. Like, yeah, it's interesting that these characters get like such long runs and so much focus on them. When it's like, when where's the where's the good character work that's been done? Well, there. Right? Like, but again, though. Uh, but again, like first off, this is her first solo series, so I don't think we can mm-hmm. really, really sit here. Yeah, and but say she's there's been around. For, she's her. been around for thirty years, and she's around a lot, right? She's not Mantis. Yeah, yeah. Characters that like, are introduced in the '60s are around a lot. Like that's the nature of the Marvel universe, you know. And as they as they publish more and more comics, they will be around more and more because Marvel's just trying to fill space and they're trying yeah, yeah to yeah, make yeah. characters happen, right? <laughs> they want other characters to be bigger because then they have more IP on their hands that is that is uh, has higher value. Um, yeah. So that that's not strange. That's just the nature of the beast uh, with with Marvel comics, you know. So I I don't think it's a bad thing to give. No, it just it's just when, or, when you, you know any no of these no I'm not I'm not opposed opposed to it it just it's interesting to me when you get to like this point and it's like I know there's there's just big fans of these characters and I'm still just like ah, but based on what but then again you know what like there's an entire podcast out there dedicated to like Candy Southern you know and like <laughs> yeah I, 
we read a lot of her comic and I don't even remember who that is. <laughs> and I know like Cerebro cast is like 60% about Candy Southern. <laughs> so like, <laughs> right. you know, if, if you're looking for it, you can, you can find. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely not a lot of stuff. I, I've never, I mean, I guess the, the piece here that I connect with is I've never been of a fandom where I like really sink into individual characters, you know, where I really, because yeah. I, and when, you know, and there's a lot of conversation, like this is a very Twitter thing is like, Oh, I love this particular X-Men character. And, you know, mm-hmm. nobody else does. And they're my favorite and that sort of thing. Um, I, I've never really had that, you know, just as a fan. Yeah, like, I totally. like I like plot. I like story. I like how all these things interact in a shared universe. Um, and I like good comics. At the end of the day, uh, it doesn't mean character works in a Yeah, it's way more run, runs for me than... I mean, like, there are characters that I'll get excited about if I hear, like, oh, this writer is doing that character? Well, that sounds cool. Right? Like, that can be exciting to me. But, yeah, overall, I'm more interested in creative teams than I am characters because if i hear you know my favorite character is being written by someone who i'm like i have zero interest in reading a comic by i'm gonna be like all right well i'll skip that yeah for sure right like nightcrawler is my favorite character but yeah sure and there have been every time a nightcrawler thing has been announced i have not bought it (laughs) i mean alpha alpha flight right like i i love alpha flight as soon as john Byrne gets off the run i I tried it out and then i'm like all right well not interested in alpha flight anymore (laughs) yeah (laughs) um charlotte charlotte do you have uh do you hone in on character specifically more so? Do you think? I think more than you two. I think definitely. Um, I, I have both sides of it. I, I I mean, I'm I probably am less focused on characters specifically now than I am on, like you said, plots and all that. But I I used to be, and I still am to some degree. And uh, I think the part of it when you were asking about um, why do people still really like those characters, even though they haven't really had. In stories that are that much interesting, uh, I think part of it is uh, mm-hmm. I, I know some people like Scarlet Witch from some animated shows, uh, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. maybe part of it uh, is that. But I think also people like the idea they have of those characters, like what they yeah. they would yeah, yeah, like to be. see with them, and uh, more than what they actually have seen. Um, yeah, I mean that that's the part that like sometimes drives me a little nuts because I'm just like, well, you're talking about this character, but like. 70% of what you're talking about, I feel like you've you've yeah. whipped up, <laughs> right? Like, you're seeing the, the very bare bones of uh, of what's there and that, you know, and, you know, I, I don't genuinely care. I'm not, like, mad about it, but, like, there's, uh, you know, it is, like, it's just a little baffling sometimes. I think that's what um, these minor or, or, you know, bit players um, or supporting players allow you to do, though, is to imagine the potential of what they could be. Yeah. And, I mean, when you look across, you know, this is it's Hawkeye season, right? Hawkeye and MCU is coming out. And so there's so mm-hmm. much talk right now about the David Eha, Annie Wu, Hawkeye being, MF Fraction, um, being so good, right? And it's like, if you look at, okay, what are the Marvel runs of the last 20 years that are everybody's favorite? It's supporting players. It's Hawkeye. It's Vision. Mr. Miracle for going to DC. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. these, it's these characters that have untapped potential that's a that's more exciting it's like a, it's like a nba draft prospect right it's like a sports draft prospect it's like what could they be what could they become um as opposed to what are they actually yeah and scarlet witch is a character who almost embodies that <laughs> yeah because Wanda maximoff continues to be like so much potential and it's just so shrouded in a really messy bad history yeah i think um, like the so, example i would yeah. give is like i love wolvesbane from the new mutants uh, uh-huh. Like and I, I love the idea of her character. I like, like I have ideas of stuff that I would love to see with her. I like a handful of Wolves being centric comics, and even a handful seems a lot. Like yeah, totally, yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I get like. I mean, actually, that's a really good example because like Rain Sinclair is somebody that I'm always like, oh, I love Rain. Yeah, and there's but a lot of you know, bad Wolves based comics. on very few comics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and if they announce tomorrow, like you know. Peter David writing a Wolfsbane oh, no. solo. No, don't. Like, you're not going to go pick yeah. it up. Don't uh, bring sorry, this I'm idea sorry into I the, world. the world. Don't Because yeah. <laughs> that is going to happen, though. I know. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. Th- this is a really good uh, segue into, <clears throat> you know, caring about characters based on extremely little content itself. Yeah, yeah. Like, a very small amount. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> we're moving into clandestine. Clandestine? Clandestine? Do you know? Clandestine, I like the way you said it the first time. Yeah, I like the yeah, first one. I don't know which way. Clandestine? It's really um, clandestine, at- I think, if we're, if we're being clear. <laughs> yeah, it you can't just Dustin. steal the joke by... I just made. <laughs> did, oh, did you just say it? <laughs> Sorry, I, I misunderstood. No. I like, misunderstood. <laughs> Stole it and claimed it as my own. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to edit yours out, Charlotte, because uh, he's going to pay me. 
Um, yeah, Dustin, our Patreon backer and uh, and Slack member, and someone who perpetually is driving me insane by being like, you know what, I like stories that don't actually tell you much detail, so I can fill it in in my own head. <laughs> Something he tells me all the time. Yeah. It makes makes my head spin. Um, but uh, Dustin, great guy, and very very into Alan Davis. He uh, he actually is the one who made us read that Excalibur uh-huh. fifty, I think. Yeah, back uh-huh. in nineteen ninety two. Uh, he's adding in a new Alan Davis series, Clandestine, which did not run for very long. There's only nine issues of it on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I'm not actually sure how long it ran in total. This might be one where... 12 issues. Okay, it got 12 issues in 1994 and five issues in 2008. Um, and uh, and it's it's an interesting comic. It's kind of about a family of... super. It, it's very much like the Eternals in the MCU. It's like yeah. a family yeah. of long-living superheroes... Um, who uh, just have, I, I don't actually know their, their origins. So, so we read number six and number seven, or at least we did. I changed that at the last minute. Did you guys end up reading six and seven, yeah. or did you read th- four through six? No, I've read, uh, I've read issues one through six in one my through six. time. Okay. I have not read issue seven, uh, and i got to tell you, I'm not going to, but carry on. Okay. It's, yeah, it, you don't really need number one <clears throat> to fill this out. Excuse me. Um, It's... It's an interesting comic. You can tell Alan Davis has like more on his mind than just like plot, but he does not do a issue number one does not do an excellent job of like introducing these characters and like getting the the ball rolling for all of them because there's there's a lot of plot going and when when you're starting with brand new characters, especially brand new superheroes, you really need to be like here's why you care about these people like ground it in the characters, give us like tantalizing glimpses of each of them, not just like. Oh no, Modok has you know there, there's something that's escaped from AIM and like Modok is uh, involved and there's I, I don't know um, there's a bunch of plot stuff happening here. Well, um, and I think with the with the Modok bit too, you know, so clandestine is totally new thing, right? These are not yeah. characters, and it it feels like Alan Davis doing a solo thing disconnected from the Marvel universe. But the first issue we're immediately connected to Modok, so it's like this mm-hmm. is part of the Marvel universe. Um, and and they're trying to do that like spider-man shows up in number seven i think he's like uh-huh. a big part of number seven he's yeah, hanging yeah. out with rory and imp i think um and uh and then like the punisher <laughs> punisher shows up and just assassinates the villain of issue number seven at the end of it and clearly leading into like a punisher cameo in the next one um but uh yeah i don't know like i, I don't have that much to say i feel like this is what dave felt with alpha flight uh except like it has to be even more so because like clandestine really has nothing to do with anything ever uh where i'm just kind of like yeah this is all right i'm just like i can't find a way to care about this um and and i I will say like i don't think this is terrible like alan davis is not a bad writer he's got like some interesting conversations happening here about a guy who's like eternal like the the dad of the group is basically eternal and has been an invulnerable um, and like immortal, I guess, and uh, a conversation about how that makes him totally checked out of humanity, right? Like his his empathy does not extend. Like he feels like he's being empathetic, but he can't actually like project that out into the world, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is honestly a more interesting conversation than anything the Eternals movie <laughs> had about the same thing, right? Like actually talking about that stuff a little bit. Um, the characters, the kids are like kind of cute. It's just doing a power pack thing. Um, there's one sequence here that I actually kind of think is somewhat of an all-timer, like, great paneling, um, which is the character, oh, I can't remember her name, she, like, she's got these psychic powers, and she's being attacked and, like, stunned with these neurotoxins. Did you read this one, Dave? Is that number six, or is that number seven? Uh, the one where basically she, like, has the, the, it's kind of like the Avatar, where she has all these different personalities, all, um, not personalities, but, like, past lives are all yeah. like echoing through her yeah. and they are all like echoing out of her as she's resisting this poison and just visually it's one of the coolest things period like i've seen in marvel yeah um <clears throat> so like that that was really neat so like there, there's interesting stuff here and i could see like um if you just want to be one of these cool kids who knows about like the weird uh you know little odd corners of marvel getting into clandestine um it's it's like the perfect and knowing dustin this is like the perfect dustin thing of like <laughs> Yeah, no one knows or has heard of Clandestine, and he's very into it. Um, it's very under I, I the radar. Th- Charlotte, yeah. what was your reaction to Clandestine? I had a lot yeah. of fun with it. Like, <laughs> I actually yeah. kind of want to read more of it. I only read issues six and seven. Well, you can. There's only 12. Yeah, yeah, I only read six and seven, and I 
kind of wanted to go back to issue one and read the whole thing by the end. Uh, I think it was very I, I fun. Was, at first, I was like, with Dustin, I was like, really? Just six and seven? And then I read one, and then six and seven, and was like, oh yeah, you don't really need one. Yeah. Like, six and seven actually does a better job. Like, number one, like, floods you with too much plot. Yeah. <clears throat> and like too much character and it feels overwhelming whereas number six just focuses in yeah. on the kids but w- what we get um, in issues six and seven of like the relationships before between the characters of uh, of that family s- seemed kind of yeah. interesting and I-, I wanted to to know more about them the characters seemed pretty interesting and tri-dimensional uh i <laughs> i barely know anything about him but i i like the nightmare looking i think his name is dominic the- that guy he looked cool mm-hmm. yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. I, I think it was kind of what i wanted from 80s power pack comics and i didn't love like those that much and i actually really like this so yeah i'm i'm very interested and uh, uh i think i'll i'll try to go back and ri- read um, everything that's on the mobile unlimited hey look at that dustin you made a you made a comment yeah <laughs> get, get, I, so with, speaking with, of uh, converts i am definitely not one um i yeah. i think this i think clandestine would work a lot better if it was Alan Davis's image superhero series uh, because to mm-hmm. me it just feels so much part and parcel of the 90s boom of creators being like I'm just going to make my own very familiar superhero squad but I'm going to do it in my artistic style and if you like mm-hmm. Alan Davis's artistic stylings which are very good uh, this is more of that you know like this is Alan Davis saying hey let me take my Excalibur tricks and put them into a new superhero squad, I think it would be better served to just straight up be outside of the Marvel Universe. I just don't think that serves it really in any way. Um, It's very, to me, part and parcel with the Liefeld, Lee, McFarlane's of, you know, just like, hey, new superheroes all the time. Let me me show you how cool they can be uh, without doing anything particularly special. I think Alan Davis, um, obviously an extremely well-regarded individual in comics uh for me my favorite alan davis stuff is when um he's when he's collaborating with the likes of alan moore on captain britain or chris claremont and excalibur um some of his solo excalibur stuff is interesting but i'm rarely a mega fan i think if you are you'll probably enjoy clandestine uh but you know I, i just don't it's so it's just it's it's just so much like um, reading Wildcats or or reading mm-hmm. uh, sure. you know Youngblood, where it's like it just everything feels very very familiar yet generic, um, and and it just it, nothing about it. I think feels I think special, I think it's I slightly more artful than those those two. I, well, I would, that, that's I would an Alan Davis versus like... <laughs> Jim Lee versus um, <laughs> right Ex- exactly. versus Rob Liefeld thing. I mean, I think Alan Davis like he knows how to plot a comic, right? He does a, a long Excalibur yeah. run where it's yeah. just him. Um, he knows how to tell these stories, uh, and this is a this is the thing too, where like I mean, Alan Davis writes X Men for a bit later in the decade, and it's the same sort of thing where it's just it generally I, I'm generally sometimes interested in the ideas. Um, I'm rarely fixated or really excited about the way the comic actually comes together um as a story so clandestine definitely falls into that category for me um i appreciate there being a fandom around it you know when i created the list the first time around i did include issues one to three because it was like yeah it's a new series it's new characters um alan davis is a a creator i do like despite you know what i'm saying here and uh and you know like like alan davis does you know like like my favorite versions of like you know artistically for a long time of like characters like nightcrawler and megan and you know captain britain and all these characters that you know like kind of alan davis's stamp is megan oh megan yeah okay two g's <laughs> it's just two. very funny for you to be like yeah yeah listening all these superheroes and then you're like and megan <laughs> <laughs> right um and but Steven. yeah i mean i i, I think yeah. clandestine it just doesn't like it's like you said like oh it's very much like what eternals could be in this moment yeah and if it's going to be in the Marvel Universe, then I kind of wish it was Alan Davis's Eternals, because then I would actually have more to gravitate to to be like, oh, and how is this played in the in the tapestry of Eternals over the decades, yeah. right? It, uh, as opposed to be what this is eating eating. Oh, yeah. sorry, you're going to be eating your words in about a year from now when the Miss Marvel, the MCU Miss Marvel TV show comes out, and the clandestine is the hottest thing for all the team, uh, which is. It is definitely. All- I mean, it, because it is in the Marvel Universe, like there's no reason creators or the mcu couldn't pull these characters oh wait did you not do you not know this okay so it's been leaking that clandestine is in the miss marvel show gonna be in the mcu miss marvel show it's been like leaked a couple times i guess yeah i don't know exactly how verified it is but like 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's close to verified. I've I've seen people tweeting about you know the renewed relevance or whatever. Um, I just on it, you know what I don't want to do a whole long conversation about it. But what a weird choice. <laughs> it's <laughs> what very a strange fun. choice it, in a world mostly, where the Eternals I, do actually exist. I mean, I don't care. I don't care at all. Like if they weave them in, I think that's fine. They'll, they they must be doing it for some reason. We'll see if it works or not. Uh, mostly, I think it's just very funny. Like uh, the. the you know, with the the danger of getting too like in the weeds about like Slack people, Dustin, who added this, is also a huge Miss Marvel sh- fan, and deeply worried about the show not hewing close enough to um, G Willow Wilson's original run. Um, that they're like making too many changes with everything he's reading, so he's just like he's very into the 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 production of the MCU show and like concerned about how it's going to change. Also, a huge clandestine fan, and now clandestine is being leaked that it's going to be in the Marvel Miss Marvel so this is like a real monkey's paw thing for him like him being like clandestine wouldn't that be cool if it was in the MCU and then they're like they'll be the main antagonist in the Miss Marvel <laughs> show <laughs> and it's it's very much uh you know some someone who loves these two things it's very funny um but yeah 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 not the kind of interesting I'm, gl- I'm glad we checked it out maybe especially just because we might be seeing them in the MCU next year but uh besides that you know I'm, I'm not dipping back into the Okay. Well, regardless, thank you, Dustin, for your support and yeah. For, yeah, thanks, uh, for suggesting some different comics for folks. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for 1994 Part 1. I think we're or next time we're going to be talking about Deadpool Mini, a Gambit Mini, and the Marvel Comics Presents issues 150 to 151. I don't think these are actually on Marvel Unlimited, FYI. Um, no, I don't think but so. But they are fairly important comics that we should talk about. But yeah, this is, you Marvel. know, this is uh, the 90s is the year of the mini. So we are going to cover a handful of those uh, with Deadpool and Gambit, which is very, very 90s. Which one's not on Marvel Unlimited? Marvel Comics Presents? Mm hmm. It wasn't oh, weird. previously. Yeah, I don't think the no. Jesse Drake okay. stuff is on. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll be back with that. Thanks to everybody who's purchased over at patreon.com slash mymarvel this year. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald pretty much anywhere online. Zach, you can find him on Twitter at mymarvel this year. Charlotte, where should people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Theo Charlotte, and you can find me on the Slack. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, music for the show is by Disasterpiece, and you can find all the comics that we're reading in the show notes, as well as um, if you do subscribe to patreon.com slash mymarvel this year, you can get the full list. Uh, all the way through 2010 to read along with the club. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next year. See you next year. See you next year. year.